Uh, we are uh, working our way through the Gospel of Luke, a master class from the master. And this morning we pick up in Luke 15 and we read the first uh, 10 verses. Luke 15, beginning at the first verse, listen then for the voice of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need, who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coin and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of the Lord. Anne Lamott, Anne Lamott is an agnostic alcoholic who describes coming to faith as being chased by a little cat. She hesitated responding for a long time because she knew that she knew what would happen. And I quote, you let a cat in one time, give it a little milk, and then it stays forever. As it turns out, Anne went regularly to a raggedy little church near a flea market. And one Sunday morning, the sermon was, and I quote, ridiculous. But the last song was so deep, raw, and pure that Anne felt like she couldn't escape. She began to cry before the benediction left before the service was over and ran home, feeling the little cat nipping at her heels. She slammed the door to her houseboat, hung her head, cursed, took a deep breath and said aloud, all right, you can come in. Rachel Hewitt was a church lady. If First Reformed was open, she was there. Her late husband was a military offer. They lived all over the world. She found sustaining community in those base camps, in those base camp churches. Rachel loved Sunday school, children, scripture, and hats on Easter. And she carried herself with an unmatched 
graceful dignity and kindness. Every time I'd preach, Rachel would track me down with a question. I welcomed every conversation. So Rachel sat center aisle seat just a few rows back. And on most Sundays, something in the singing of a hymn would cause tears to well up in her eyes and slip down her cheeks. And when I asked about it, she told me of her heartbreaking because her adult children weren't going to church. She wept because in her mind, her children hadn't welcomed in the little kitty. Anne and Rachel. Dear friends, Frederick Beekner writes that a parable is a little story with a large point, with parables and jokes both. If you've got to have them explained, don't bother. But explaining the parables in this morning's text just might help shed a little light on Anne's story, on Rachel's story, and help us make sense of our own. Therefore, Jesus is surrounded by run-of-the-mill sinners and the, religious, the religiously righteous, the lawbreakers and the law keepers. And true to form, the Pharisees sneer that Jesus repeatedly welcomed these sinners, and the word here is not just welcome like greeting someone at the door, but welcoming as in taking one into your arms. So Jesus tells two parables, actually three, because the parable of the prodigal son immediately follows, but this morning, two parables. And the thematic hook is the relentless pursuit of what's lost. The shepherd risks losing the 99 in order to find the one, the woman drops the nine coins in order to find the one. It's no way to run a ranch or a bank. But the shepherd and the woman single-mindedly search until they found what they've lost. And in the finding, there's great joy. There's great celebration. Friends and neighbors are called. Mirth and merrymaking follow. Heaven itself rejoices and angels join in the chorus. All of this because what was lost was found. And these two parables complement Anne Lamott's story. To mix animal metaphors... God doggedly chased her down, wore her out, and won her over. Thanks be to God. However, it seems worth noting that the sheep and the coin already belonged to the shepherd and the woman. These are not images of conversion these are images of reclamation. God relentlessly reclaims what wandered off or ran away. 
or got stuck between the sofa cushions or slipped through the cracks or rolled under the dresser. But the lost sheep always belonged to the shepherd. The lost coin was already the woman's. Now, when emailing about the baptism of Asher, who did wonderfully, by the way, when emailing about the baptism of Asher, Erica included me in on an invitation that she sent to family. The invitation didn't include references to cute little kittens or irrepressible puppies, but there were these few lines. This is Erica. I've often joked to John, husband, that infant baptism is my whole theology. It's a tradition in the church that I grew up in, but the reason it's so meaningful to me is because of what it symbolizes. That before we've done anything at all, no matter who we are, or who we become, God chooses us. I believe so deeply in the God that moves towards us, that meets us in our darkest moments, that widens the table, that offers unimaginable grace. It has always been our prayer that Asher will know undoubtedly that he's loved, safe, accepted, and chosen for exactly who he was created to be. We're excited to celebrate this symbol of that kind of belonging. Amen. Dear friends, there was great joy in heaven when Anne Lamott opened her heart's door, let Jesus in, and began the journey to sobriety, eventually becoming a remarkable gift as a spiritual writer. But throughout her whole journey, she belonged to God. God was always present, patiently and persistently tracking her down, never giving up, never letting go. Our brokenness, our lostness, our distance, doesn't dismiss, dismiss or diminish our belonging to God. True for Anne, true for Asher, true for you and me. Thanks be to God. And I repeatedly told Rachel the same thing. Go back to Rachel and her children. I repeatedly told Rachel the same thing. God relentlessly pursues what belongs to him. There's no timetable. There's no end to the story. There's no barrier that, hin that hinders God from claiming his children. Yes, absolutely. Opening the door living a life of grateful obedience in response to God's pursuit is a richer, fuller, more faithful way to live. And we want that for our loved ones. 
We want that for our children, for our grandchildren. But our response, or our children's response, doesn't deter God. I've done my fair share of funerals. I've done funerals for friends, for those I've never met, for saints and for scoundrels. I've buried babies in boxes no bigger than a shoebox and folks in their late 90s. I've done funerals in sanctuaries with standing room only and at graveside with no one there but the caretaker, the mortician, and the gravedigger. And on every occasion, I tried to be honest about the person's life and honest about the gospel. None of us know the cracks and crevices of another's heart. And I don't pretend for a minute to know what happens or where we go after we die. But I trust in the grace of God expressed in Jesus Christ. I trust in a God who makes the first move towards us and the last. I trust in a God who doesn't stop searching for the lost sheep or the forgotten penny. Our faith is not in our wisdom, courage, or goodness, but in God's relentless pursuit. Our faith is not in how well we've lived or how much we've believed, but in how we belong to God. True for Anne, true for Asher, true for Rachel and her children, true for you and me, thanks be to God. So Jesus calls for repentance in response to God's pursuit. Our text reads, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Who's the them? Who is the them? To whom does Jesus tell this parable? Biblical scholars think the antecedent to them is the Pharisees. Jesus turns to the religiously certain, looking at you, Glenn, Jesus turns <laughs> to the religiously certain and tells them stories of the lost being found. Maybe the sinners already knew they were lost. And in telling the parable, Jesus is trying to pry loose the floorboards of religious confidence. As if to say, all that matters is being lost and then found. Dear friends, part of repentance 
is letting go of our confidence in a religious apparatus. In part, repentance is admitting that we don't have it all nailed down, that we don't have all the answers. Repentance makes space for faith, not as doctrinal certainty, but as deep trust in God. Because all we have to offer is our lostness. All we have to offer is our deadness. You know, faith is not certainty. In fact, some uncertainty, some question, some, some humility makes space for faith. Frederick Buechner describes doubt as the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. Our confidence is not in our quality, the quality of our faith, but in belonging to God. Our comfort is not in being right, but in belonging to God. Therefore, in response to God's grace, in response to God's grace in Christ, let's offer our hearts to God, turn from our sin, and even in repenting of religious righteousness, may we know a deep trust. Robert Farrar Capon puts it this way. The lost sheep is for all practical purposes a dead sheep. A last coin is likewise, a lost coin is likewise a dead asset. These parables, therefore, are far from being exhortations to repentance. They are emphatically not stories designed to convince us that if we will wind ourselves up to some acceptable level of moral and or spiritual improvement, God will then forgive us. Rather, they are parables about God's determination to move before we do. In short, to make lostness and death the only tickets we need to the supper of the Lamb. So tune up your harp. Cue the angels. Put on your dancing shoes. Let the rejoicing begin. God picks up the lost coin. God gathers in the lost sheep. Thanks be to God. Amen.